0: School might be out for the summer, but let's study up on what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our series, Christianity 101, from the book of 1 John. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, um, and I trust at home, you should be able to grab a Bible, that you would have a Bible there, if not um, your your physical Bible, your digital Bible, and that you would um, turn to the book of 1 John this morning. First John chapter one. And this morning I want to begin a series of messages. I thought I was going to begin them um, this series earlier in the year, and it just felt like the Lord redirected us with everything that's going on, but but that now is the time for us to look into the epistle of first John. And I want to bring to us a series of messages which I've entitled Christianity 101. Christianity 101, and I want to read for us this morning from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And John writes to the church, he writes to us even today, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life And this morning, our first message from these verses is entitled, The Basic of Basics, the Reality of Jesus. The Basic of Basics, the Reality of Jesus. And I pray that God would bless his word to us this morning. Well, you know, we all know the importance of firsthand experience. You know, when a trial is taking place in a court of law, there's a call for, for eyewitnesses. Maybe a car accident has, has happened, and God forbid that it should happen to any of us, but it does, and and as the police come to write up their reports, they want to know who saw it and what happened. Were there any eyewitnesses? And we all know that first hand accounts of history are always better than second- and third-generation accounts. We want to hear from those who were actually there. We know by the time John was writing his epistle, his letter to the church, he was one of the few eyewitnesses of Jesus and his ministry who were left. Most of that first generation had died off, some naturally, some due to martyrdom for their faith. And those to whom John was writing were mostly second and third generation Christians, people who had come to faith through the testimony of others. These were believers who were separated from the life and ministry of Jesus by time and space. You see, not only was there the distance of time, but there was also this distance of space or we might say distance of geography. For the first set of believers had lived with Jesus in the land of Israel, in the land of Palestine. They were familiar with the customs and the language of Jesus, the context within within which Jesus ministered. But after that first decade of the church, those who came to faith, mostly among the Gentile world, they lived far removed from the land of the Jews, living throughout the Roman Empire. And thus, not only time, but as well space or geography separated them from Jesus' life and ministry. And thus, whereas that first generation of believers in the church had either witnessed Jesus for themselves or, at the very least, had very close contact with the original disciples, the original apostles, eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, by the time John was writing to the church, the church was predominantly made up of those who had come to faith through others who were a bit further removed. And so they were the children, we might say, or grandchildren, or even great-grandchildren, some physically and some spiritually, of that first generation of believers. And the result was that over time, something was being lost within the church, there seemed to be a lessening of fervor among the believers. There was a tendency towards greater acceptance of the world around them and and a bit more compromise. And a less distinctively Christian lifestyle was becoming the norm. The original teachings of the apostles were being threatened by all kinds of other teachings that had begun to creep into the church. We see, it was into this setting that John wrote his epistle or his letter. It was to the second and third generation believers that John was writing. And his goal was to bring them back to the foundations, back to the basics of the Christian faith. He was writing for the purpose of bringing them back to the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, both in terms of theology and lifestyle. Because you see, ultimately, you cannot separate the two. It was like John was teaching a class for them, a class that we might call today Christianity 101. You know, I was thinking that as we've been living through this pandemic and all of its effects upon our lives, so much of life has really been brought back to basics. Suddenly, little things have become of utmost importance, you know, like going to the supermarket and finding toilet paper or peanut butter or or tuna fish. Things we've taken for granted right, have been now pushed to the forefront of our minds. Things like being able to go out to a restaurant, getting together for a backyard barbecue, or maybe giving our loved one a hug. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes it's good for us to go back to basics, for us to gain a fresh perspective on things we may have for too long taken for granted. And it may be that for too long we have taken for granted our Christian faith, and that we have veered away from that which is of utmost importance to this life of faith. It just may be that in our day and age, with all the complications and intricacies of life, that we have somehow left behind what it really, really means to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we jump into the book of 1 John this morning, we are, in a sense, going back to basics, back to the foundations, back to the essentials of our Christian faith, back to basic doctrines of our faith, and the way in which we have been called to live as followers of Jesus. And let me say, for even the most seasoned of of believers, that it is good at times for us to go back to basics, for us to maybe take a review class in Christianity 101. And so I want to invite you to enter into the class, enter into the journey with me today. Because you see, our situation today really is not much different than the one to which John was writing to. For we are distant. um, In fact, much further distant by time and space from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And thus, we can only imagine how much greater our tendency is to stray from the basic doctrines and the kind of lifestyle to which we've been called as followers of Jesus. And we have a faith today that has been passed on to us first by the apostles and through the church and then even through our families. And, you know, as time goes by, as generations pass, our tendency is to lose our fervency for Christ, to begin to compromise our lifestyles and even even begin to water down our theology. And so, you know, in, in churches like ours today, it's not uncommon for, for someone to say, well, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really the Savior? Well, maybe he's just, and we begin to mix things up a little bit. We see in this regard, it's as if John wrote his letter just to us, as if he wrote it yesterday that we might receive it today. And so today, again, I welcome you to Christianity 101. And when we come, as we come to John, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, we've really come to John's introduction. And we might say, well, where's he going to begin? And as we read these verses, we find that, that he begins with, for it all begins with the reality of Jesus, the reality of Jesus. For in this first section, John lays down the fa- foundation for the rest of his letter. Right at the, outs- at the outset, he takes his readers back to the basic of basics, for he reminds them of what was proclaimed, of what was preached to them at the very start. And John makes it very clear that the existence of Jesus Christ is not a myth, but a historical reality. That Jesus did not appear as a spirit nor in someone's imagination. That he was a tangible, physical being. That John makes it clear that Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection were all physical realities which they themselves as apostles had witnessed firsthand and so notice what, Jesus, what John tells us about Jesus as he begins his teaching, as he begins his letter to the believers of his day. The first thing is this. He makes it very clear that Jesus has always existed as an eternal reality. And that speaks to us of the divinity of Jesus. For he says in verse 1, he begins with, that which was from the beginning. And those words remind us of two other parts of scripture. The first, of course, is Genesis 1.1, where we're told, in the beginning, God created. It also reminds us of John's own gospel, where he wrote in John 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and he was with God in the beginning." You see, that phrase, in the beginning or from the beginning, refers not just to the beginning of a day or of a year or of a century, but rather it's a biblical way of referring back to the beginning of time, actually before the beginning of time, referring to eternity. In other words, that which existed at the beginning actually existed before the beginning of time as we know it. When time began, you see, it was already there. And that's when John says that which was from the beginning, he's reminded, reminding his readers and us today that Jesus Christ, he didn't become a reality on the day he was born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger. He didn't become a reality the day he was conceived in Mary's womb, but he was a reality from all of eternity that Jesus was and is eternal. And that means Jesus was and is divine. After all, only God himself is eternal. Listen, I know that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. I mean, if if, if you try to really, really get it in there and try to figure out what that all means, it's like, I don't know, your brain is going to explode. But listen, even though we can't fully understand it, it is essential to our understanding of Jesus, of who Jesus is, and to a truly Christian understanding of Jesus. Notice in verse two, he says, "We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, that eternal life being Jesus himself. For in John chapter one in his gospel, John wrote again these words, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word that is Jesus was God. He was made, he, he was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. without him nothing has been made that has been made." And so we're reminded this morning that Jesus existed as a reality from all of eternity, before the beginning of time. That means Jesus was and is divine, that Jesus was and is God. It is very basic to our Christian faith. And if you get rid of that understanding, you begin to slip away from what it really means to be a Christian. But the second thing that John, John notes for us is that Jesus came into our world as a physical reality. He came into our world as a physical reality, and that speaks to us of the humanity of Jesus. But listen, there were some in John's day, as in ours, who had begun to teach that Jesus wasn't physically real. They said, well, well, he only looked that way um, others denied that that he had physically died. You know, that, well, it just looked like he had died. It was just his spirit that had died. And others, and this is yet true today, they said that Jesus didn't physically resurrect from the dead. Oh, yeah, he died, but he didn't really physically resurrect. He only resurrected in spirit or in the hearts and the minds of his followers. But notice how many times John refers to to that which we have heard we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at, and our hands have touched. John's point is simple, that Jesus came in such a way that they could hear his voice. They could see him with their eyes. They could touch him with their hands. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, of his death, and of his resurrection. In fact, when John says, we have looked upon or we have looked at in verse 1, that word there specifically means to examine or to study in order to gain understanding. It goes beyond merely seeing. It's like, it's, it's like what a doctor does when he examines his patient or what a scientist does as he looks under a microscope. And John goes on to say, the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us And he's saying it has been made visible, he's been manifest, he's been made a reality. Oh, John is making it very clear that both before and after his death, Jesus was alive in a physical way as a man, as a human being, as a physical reality. Oh, We read about it in Luke 24, where Luke writes in his gospel, and this is after the resurrection, that while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself... And Luke makes the point very clear. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, Luke writes, thinking that they saw a ghost. they say, oh, this can't really be Jesus. This must be like, like a ghost, a spirit. But he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, look at my feet. It is I myself. And then Jesus says, touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones As you see, I have. John wrote in his gospel again after the resurrection, John 20, that a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Remember, Thomas is the one who doubted. He wasn't there the first time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, the one who could not believe that Jesus had physically risen from the grave, he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. We need to be reminded this morning that Jesus didn't come in some ethereal way. He wasn't merely a spirit or a ghost, but rather Jesus came as a man with flesh and blood. And although he had always existed as divinity in the heavens, in the glories of heaven, he came into this world as humanity, as a man, as real as you and me. And that means Jesus, when he died on that cross, Jesus died a physical death. He actually suffered and it was real blood that came out of him and it was real pain that he felt, but he also experienced a physical resurrection. Jesus died filled with suffering and pain because it was a physical death, but he was as well physically raised from the dead, filled with glory. And I want to tell us, church, if and when we lose sight of all of this, Jesus' divinity and his humanity, we can no longer claim to be Christians. In fact, our whole Christian faith is based upon the incarnation that is divinity becoming humanity, the physical death and the physical resurrection of Jesus. Our whole faith as Christians is founded upon that. And if we get rid of any of that, we begin to see our faith in Jesus crumble. But Jesus came into this world fully divine and fully human. He was and is a reality, a historical reality, both before and after his life, death, and resurrection here on this earth. But I believe the third thing that, that John wants us to know as he begins his letter to the church, and this is where it, 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 it all really begins to impact our lives personally, is this, that Jesus came to make his reality our reality. Aren't you glad for that this morning, that Jesus came to make his reality our reality? For you see, Jesus came from heaven, was born in this earth. He, he lived, he died, and he rose again that, for one, that we might experience his life, that is divine life, spiritual life, eternal life you see, one of our greatest needs as humanity has, begin, has been the need to overcome death and experience life again, eternal life. That's why John calls Jesus the word of life. He says the life appeared. In John 1, 4, we read this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Oh, we're reminded today that sin brought death into our world. The apostle Paul wrote that the wages of sin is death. That is physical, spiritual. We could say even emotional and relational death came into our world and comes, came into our lives as, as, as we found ourselves just filled with sin and living, living just, just opposite the way God would have us to live. Sin brought death into our world. We have had this great need for for renewed life, for new life. So John wrote in John chapter 3 that everyone who believes in him, that is in Jesus, has eternal life. But you know it well, many of you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, they will not perish. They won't just stay in death for all of eternity, but they will have eternal life. You see, the gospel message has to do with life for those who believe, for those who follow Jesus Christ, receiving spiritual life, receiving eternal life. Even as Jesus said, receiving abundant life, or we might say life to the max. Jesus came to take us out of a mere existence that was leading us towards eternal death and to bring us back to life. Jesus came to do CPR upon us that we might be revived and brought back to life. He came that we might experience the life of God at work within us. He came that we might experience the reality of his life, spiritual life, divine life, eternal life, a life that will never end, that we might experience life with him through all eternity, forever and ever. Jesus he came as that physical reality, right, to make his reality our reality. And yes, that meant bringing us his life, but it also meant that we would be able to experience renewed fellowship with God our Father, even as he from all of eternity had lived in union with God the Father. Verses one, Chapter 1, verse 3, right, John writes these words so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, our fellowship with each other as a church, as Christians, it first begins not by getting together and saying, oh, we're going to have some fellowship, and we talk about having hot dogs or cake and coffee. That's not what fellowship really means. But it begins with our fellowship with God, through Christ, our fellowship with Christ, God's Son. That word that we translate as fellowship, many of you know it in the Greek koinonia. It speaks about partnership. It speaks about participation together. It speaks about union. You see, when we were created, we had a perfect relationship, perfect fellowship, perfect union with God, our Creator and Father. Oh, just go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and just read about how Adam and Eve, the first of of creation, how they just, just had this wonderful relationship with God where he would come and he would even walk in the garden with them. But when sin came into our world, there came a breaking of that relationship and walls were built between God and us and then between us and those around us. And since that point, there has been a deep craving inside of all humanity, for a renewed sense of relationship, a renewed sense of union, koinonia, fellowship with God, that we might know Him once again as our Father. Through the work of Jesus in our lives, as we put our faith in Him and we follow Him, the reality, the reality of, what he, of who He is and what He came to do becomes our reality for we are then enabled to experience a renewed koinonia with God, our Father, and then with one another. You see, this is very, very basic to the gospel message. Let me put it this way. That is, we don't and we can't come back into relationship with God as our Father by lots of good works, by religious duty, by offerings and sacrifices. But rather, we come back into koinonia, into fellowship with God by entering into fellowship with Jesus. That is by putting our faith in him. And as we do, the reality which Jesus has known for all of eternity, fellowship with God, union with God, becomes our reality so that we too can cry out, Abba, Father, that we can pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name that we would know that we are no longer slaves, we're no longer outsiders in God's family, but we have access into the very throne room of God, for he is our father. And so we're reminded today that Jesus Christ, he is not a myth that's been handed down to us. He is not just another one of the ancient religious fables He's not a fairy tale developed in order to to, um, pass on some sort of cultural teaching. But rather, Jesus was and is very, very real. And you see, this is where it all begins. The whole gospel message is built upon the reality of Jesus. And thus, if you and I want to know God and experience his eternal life, and come into fellowship, into union, into relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, we must come to know Jesus. We must in some way come to know him for ourselves. We must, we must make our own decision to follow Jesus. And John says he wrote all of this to make our joy complete. Why? Because you see, those who know Jesus, for those who know Jesus, there's no greater joy to be had than to experience his life and to experience fellowship with him and with God as our Father. And so I ask you this morning, have you experienced the reality of Jesus? I'm not asking you if you've gone to church, if you've been on enough YouTube church services, if you've been doing good works, if you've been giving in the offering, or I'm not even asking you, have you been reading your Bible? But I'm asking you this morning, have you experienced the reality of Jesus? Because I want you to know this morning that he is still very, very real. And in a very real way, he's able to touch your life, to change your life, to, for, to bring to you forgiveness of sin, to bring you back into relationship with God as your father. In a very real way, he's able to pour his life into you that you might say, yet yeah, once I was dead, but now I live. Once I was blind, but now I see. In a very real way, he's able to give you new hope for the future, even hope for eternity. Have you experienced the reality of Jesus? Oh, listen, he's not just a story. He's not just a myth. John says, we saw him. We touched him. We heard his voice. We were there. We were there before the crucifixion. We saw him die on the cross. And we we were there when he showed up after he rose from the dead. Have you experienced the reality of Jesus? Have you allowed his reality to impact your life? Have you allowed his life, his death, his resurrection to change your life? If so, then today I want you to give him praise to continue to follow him. Let's not take for granted what Jesus has done. Let's not take for granted the reality of Jesus. If not, if you've not yet experienced his reality at work in your life, then Today, I invite you, I encourage you, I challenge you to put your faith in him. To begin to pray this morning, say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to come into my life in a very real way. I'm tired of just reading about you, just hearing about you. I'm tired of maybe showing up in church and sensing, well, maybe you're out there. I want to know you today. Listen, the Bible says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Just begin to pray this morning. You 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 don't need to. In fact, you can't, you can't live off someone else's experience. It's not enough that grandma told you about Jesus, that mom or dad have been serving Jesus. I meet so many people in the church. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, because, you know, I was brought up in the church. My mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa. No, no, no. The question is, have you personally, you yourself, experienced the reality of Jesus? For you see, today, he still offers himself to you, to save you, to change you, to give to you his gift of eternal life, and to bring you back into fellowship with God as your heavenly father. Will you bow your heads? Let's let's just take a moment to pray. So, Lord, right now, right now, I pray and first just want to thank you, Father God, for giving to us the gift of your son, Jesus. And just praying this morning, Lord, that we would never take for granted, God, what you have done for us through Jesus. And Jesus, that we would never take for granted what you have done for us through your coming to this earth, through your life, through your death, through your resurrection. And so today we give you all honor and all praise. And we commit ourselves to continuing to follow you, to trust you. And Father, I pray for some today, maybe for the very first time, they're reaching out to you. Jesus, they're reaching out to you. They're saying, Jesus, I need to know you for myself. I'm tired of hearing the stories. I'm tired of just reading about you in a book. I'm tired of hearing someone else's testimony. But Jesus, I need you to come and work in my life today. I need to know that you're real. Father, I pray that you go to that person Jesus, that by your spirit, you go to that person as they reach out to you today, as they commit themselves by faith to following you, that they would experience your touch upon their lives in a very real way, that they would be able to give testimony that there was a day that Jesus stepped into their life. And he forgave them of every sin. He changed their life. He gave them new hope. He gave them new joy. He gave them new peace. He gave them eternal life. So touch them, I pray, in Jesus' name. And so Jesus, again, we thank you. that You're not just a fairy tale. You're not just a myth. You didn't come to this earth as just a ghost or a spirit. But Jesus, you You have been very, very real for all of eternity and even today. So we praise you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.